Welcome to the Heads Up for Tales podcast. I'm Rashi Narang, your host and also the founder at Heads Up for Tales. I know that the relationship you have with your pet is one of the most fulfilling kinds of love that you can experience. And I also know that your pets deserve the best life that you can give them. This podcast is dedicated to understanding our pets better so we can enrich their lives. I hope you find great value in this podcast and it helps strengthen the bond that you have with your pet companions. Hello and welcome back to the Heads Up for Tales podcast. We're living at a time with a lot of human animal conflict. There are thousands of dogs and cats on our streets, many of whom are hurt, injured and abused. Our cities are growing and taking over forest land so there's conflict with wilder animals as well. It's a bit of a mess and I'm sure you as an animal person or a nature lover um I'm sure this this conflict causes you pain and you may have thought about trying to fix it trying to do something but didn't quite know where to start. On today's episode I'm so excited to introduce you to someone who believed she could bring a change and she did. I have with me Neha Panchamia who is the managing trustee and president of Rescue Charitable Trust in Pune which is a not for profit that works with all kinds of animals both domesticated and wildlife powered by human connection rescue tackles problems hands on with a smile over the years i've seen neha rescuing and rehabilitating hundreds of animals herself and collectively as an organization i think rescue has changed the lives of over 100000 animals since inception through its response and preventive verticals which include things like distressed animal rescue teams wildlife rescue their veterinary hospital uh, their dog rehoming and uh, and dog uh, uh, street dog coexistence program rabies control research training and a lot more I've been following Neha's work for a long time but I personally visited Rescue a couple of years ago and I wanted to share that I was truly blown away by their processes their training the way that they were serving and caring for their animals their team and really Neha's vision of a world where humans and animals coexist in sustainable ecosystems I remember Neha showing me this amazing app where you can actually report an a hurt or an injured animal and be able to follow their entire journey while they are in rescue's care and i and i really i know that they are way ahead of the curve especially in this space in india neha welcome to the heads up for tales podcast so glad to have you here thank you rashi for having me here as well i'm excited awesome so neha take us right to the beginning of the journey how did you think about rescue how did you start what was the motivation tell us all about that okay so ever since i was really young of course i've had an affinity towards animals but uh, i officially the rescue journey as an organization started for me in 2007 and it mainly began uh, for the same reason that i sort of do what i do even today and that is um, back then and even now i mean watching animals suffering is something which is very hard for me and uh, i when i moved to pune from mumbai and uh, i would you know witness accidents i would witness human different forms of human animal conflict and um, i just felt this very strong urge to do something about it there was a single incident of an animal that passed away in front of me after the countless other ones of course where i finally decided that okay now i'm not going to just sit back and watch this and uh, i have to do something about it 
So that's where it began. I mean, I think watch, not being able to watch animal suffering and to just see that human-animal conflict and, uh, you know, people just engaging in that. And um, I think that was the trigger for me to start. And that is still what keeps me going. What were the challenges when you started out? And um, how have you seen those challenges change? Because you've obviously diversified so much. So tell me a little bit about... What did you start out with? What were the causes? And was it primarily rescue of dogs and cats? So growing up primarily in an urban city, what you're surrounded with is dogs and cats. And that's what you relate with the most. Uh, that's what you get out uh, of your house and see first. So that the domestic animals were definitely the ones I was more familiar with. And those are the ones you saw getting into conflict the most living in a city. So definitely began with domestics uh, 15 years ago. And uh, we started with basically, um, you know, the other thing is challenges and the other thing is need. What is the need of your current environment? At that point, there was no emergency service. So the biggest uh, challenge was setting up an emergency service. So with minimum resources, again, did not have funding, did not have anything of that. Um, so, of course, I had my own uh, vehicle and whatever little funding. we. So the first thing we decided is, okay, you can't. Um, you know, uh, you have to set up an organization because that's the right channel to take uh, funds in. So everything from setting it up, again, you know, uh, it was me and a friend of mine called Tanya, who two of us set the organization up, even getting the registration. I mean, you know, even just going to the charity commissioner and he's looking at two young girls like that and saying, okay, what exactly are you all up to? You know, and why do you need to register this organization? So we explained to him that, you know, there was a dog underneath your office and we just treated that. But, you know, where are we going to get the money from? We have to find an official way to take this in. So, yeah whether it was setting up the trust to getting initially there were no people it was just us two of us you know our own vehicle going to veterinarians so challenges were funding challenges were getting help professional help uh, people to work for us of course everything was dependent on funding so it was all I mean you know it's chicken and egg what came first but those were the challenges initially um, over the years, again, challenges have been, you know, people, uh, getting people to work full time with you. That was the challenge initially. Now it is not anymore. And I'm very proud to say that because people are looking at this as a good career option now. So, uh, so we, I mean, Rescue right now has approximately 50 employees, full time employees. And um, who are, you know, who have chosen this as their career. And they've, many of them have shifted um, from other professions into this. So I'm quite proud of that, that uh, you know, the fact that people are looking at this as their uh, permanent careers. And um, so yeah, it was people at one point. At one point it was just struggling to get good vets to work with an NGO. And that itself took time to change the mentality of an NGO. You know, that just because you work for an NGO doesn't mean you have to work with lesser, uh, you know, with substandard resources or do a shoddier job. In fact, organizations like ours, we will try to use the best possible, um, you know, um, resources that are available. So, uh, so I think over the years, it has time, taken time to change that mentality as well. Also challenges, right? Like when you say challenges are very dependent on also the needs of the environment. So uh, when I started 15 years ago, of course, there was no emergency service and dogs and cats were uh, what we started ending, ending up uh, rescuing first. 
uh, over the years we also ended up training so many other people helped so many other organizations start up so where there was a point at which there was not a single organization in the city doing animal rescue now pune has multiple which is wonderful because as many as there are it's still less because there are just too many animals uh, but at least there are multiple people helping pune as a city grew so uh you know it's it's uh, it's grown a lot and sort of what used to be rural areas is now peri urban and become urban areas so a lot of wildlife started coming into conflict also what happens is over the years when you look at uh, animals very in an unbiased fashion there is no um so for us it's very species no bar right like um, whether it's a dog fallen in a well or a leopard fallen in a well or a bird stuck on a tree or a cat stuck on a tree uh, if an animal is in a difficult situation um, you know our team will rescue it so uh, a lot more wildlife started getting reported to us and again there is a dearth of wildlife rescue organizations so we decided to do what was the need of the hour and then because you have limited resources and of course we realized that okay great there are other organizations that are doing small animal rescue now let's focus on large animal rescue which is also the larger domestics which other people are still not able to do and wildlife which is uh, you know again there's a absolute dearth for wildlife rescue teams like professional uh, technically strong wildlife rescue teams so that is something that we started doing also again uh, i think it's about exposure and you know understanding what is the need of the r a lot of animals that get rescued especially wildlife end up in zoos and um, you know zoos are at the moment you know they're crumbling without respite animals just get sent into there for lifetime captivity so many of them can be released back so rescue and rehabilitation you know these are the these were always our strong points and uh, i think uh, years of having so much hands on experience with animals has really helped us um, you know develop into that so for us it's also overcoming the previous challenge and then looking at the next one you know so of course domestic animals is something that you know we have a well oiled team for now so the domestic animal unit just functions beautifully we do what's required also over the years we've realized what works and what doesn't work uh, we've had a lot of learnings through the process so uh, we've realized what works and you know focused our energies more on that and um, even the wildlife rescue and rehabilitation that we do we make sure that we're documenting everything focus on uh, better solutions also it's like a triangle you know there's human and when you see animals there's the domestic and wildlife and there is interactions between all three of them so i consider ourselves to be in a unique position where we have a good understanding of all three so uh we know what works in which kind of scenario um and and i think finding implementable solutions has what um has as you know it's given us because we worked with all kinds of animals and been very practical about it as well um i think we have a good insight into finding solutions for humans and for animals there's a very big difference between rescuing a dog and going and rescuing a leopard um right how, what what did it take to build that skill set to hire people to do that how did you learn uh where did you learn tell me more about that so you're going to yeah i think i think you might be surprised here but let me tell you that uh, most people you know think oh my god these guys are like dog people and like domestic people how do they manage wildlife 
let me tell you this from experience and i am not the only person who will say this you will have people on my team who say this as well if you can handle domestics and i'll explain to you why wildlife is actually easier wildlife capture is what i mean okay yeah. now domestic animals now if you look at a bull okay or a dog right so there's nature and nurture i'm sure you've heard this okay so uh, with domesticated animals they are already used to people they are used to humans capturing them you have to learn to outsmart them every time to catch them okay so if you have a mad raging bull believe me it's a challenge even today i'll tell you it's easier to catch a leopard than to catch a bull okay so no it's true with a wild animal it's predictable you see you see there are two labradors and they will be different okay yeah. right um you have two indian street dogs they're different of course the basics of course you know you you know that you know the, you have to be able to muzzle them and do all of that but believe me it's more challenging to catch domestic animals as compared to wildlife because with wild animals if you understand their basic behavior and not just their basic behavior but how they will behave under stress mm-hmm. and that's predictable right so and and the thing is they're not used to being caught Yeah. So you get one shot at catching them if you if you've calculated it correctly. Right. It's actually not a challenge to catch them. And what happens with wild animals unlike domestic animals they actually once captured don't put up as much of a fight because okay. also when you capture them they we are only capturing them when they are hurt or injured. Yes. So under in that scenario you see they they are actually a lot easier to deal with. So it's i i i know it sounds bizarre but it's actually easier dealing with wildlife as compared to domestics what's challenging about wildlife is the treatment right so it's different um, also handling during treatment so for us our goals are for us i mean we want to keep wildlife wild so we don't we want to interact with them as less as possible um you'll never see you know for every domestic animal we have they will have 100 million names wildlife is never named you see there is no attachment to wildlife you want to keep them wild there is no um talking to wildlife there is no um, th- that sort of that side of compassion and you know all that love is not you cannot show all that on the wild uh, with the wildlife side but with there the challenges are dealing with a raptor so again when you talk about birds dealing with a raptor is very different from dealing with a water bird to dealing with other small birds so their stress levels are different so each species is challenging so at rescue we've had more than 170 different wildlife species that we've dealt with and it's quite incredible the learning is really really good i mean we we've um, some of it we've learned ourselves some by consulting experts not just from india but from all over the world and uh, you know how uh, the, the amount people share experts share it's been very overwhelming we've had some really really good successes so yeah domestic wildlife i mean they're completely different in that way but i have to tell you that working with domestics for so long has actually made it much easier for us to deal with wildlife that's the truth i would not have guessed that i oh, mean yeah. you rescue snakes and alligators and owls and all all kinds of species uh, and i really i really would not have have thought that so that's nice to hear and i'm also just happy that the community is able to sort of share expertise and help you know across countries which is yeah. is so nice yeah. um 
but you know going back to rescue as as a center um i remember when i when i visited it seemed so far ahead of where a lot of other ngos in the animal space are just the way that you have thought about it the kennels how you created drains for cleaning to the app to the you know just the processes how you were training your people um was this all learned on the job were you able to get sort of expertise how were you able to build this so differently um and so thoughtfully and and what have you really learned about shelter management and and animals in those spaces so i think that um a lot of it of course there's learning you know you make a few mistakes and then you learn that's that's one form the other form is just being continuously inspired you know by people who are doing it better than you across the world so i think um and i also feel like we are continuously learning and i have and and i feel continuously inspired by people who are um you know coming up with newer things better things i have gone to different places looked at what the rest of the world is doing when you look at something with an open mind you also look at it and say okay maybe i can apply this back home also this works here but it may not work back in india because of xyz condition so i think remaining continuously inspired is really important and i think learning and being open to change is really really important so i always feel we can do better you know how do we do this better so i think the day you start thinking you know it all or that you are perfect i think that's that's where your downfall begins because i think we can still do better so um also i think i've just besides being inspired by animal the uh, you know the animal side of things or i've also been inspired by great leaders great companies and i feel like um right the only difference is therefore profit and we are not for profit why the you know the way people will start thinking about this sector differently is if we start treating it with as much professionalism and practicalism as everyone else treats uh, the rest of the industries in fact we have higher challenges because we have to be high performing with lesser resources and uh, the kind of um, you know uh, mental challenges we have is just just far higher so in fact systems and processes are very very important for us even more important for us so i feel like um, uh, a lot of us get caught up in you know working with animals which is very important but if one doesn't give like i felt like you know giving systems processes protocols as much importance is is very important for long term sustainability and that is what i feel has carried us through the last 15 years and is going to continue continue to help us um, you know uh, get better i also keep you know continuously updating myself i just you know took a course last year again i wanted to um you know i learn a little more about you know whether it was leadership or whether it was putting uh, you know not for profit management so i mean i took a course with harvard so i always feel like i need to learn more and then i will be able to you know spread that to the rest of my team and to the other people in the same sector i love that mm-hmm. i believe in it too um kaizen continuous improvement you yes. know tiny little changes but they add up to such big things yes. they do and and you also touched upon mental wellness how yeah. do you do it neha um how do you deal with 
seeing the worst side of humanity on many, many days and yet stay positive and yet be smiling because I see so many people in this space and their hearts are breaking all the time and, and, um, and mental wellness is a really big issue. Tell me more. How do you, how do you stay on top of it all? So um, personally and for my entire team, uh, this is something I've been very conscious about. So first and foremost, uh, I think right at the start, you have to remember that I have to be pa passionate and practical in equal measure. Number one, it's something you continuously tell yourself. Number two, it's also about mindset, right? Like for me, watching an animal suffering is intolerable, right? So the pain is something I cannot see. But what I have trained myself to believe, and I genuinely believe it, is that the outcome of alleviating pain, whether, or, whether it's life or death, is secondary. It's pain that we shouldn't endure. See, we're all going to die one day. We all hope that we suffer the least when we die, right? So for me, um, the outcome is not important. It's, you know, it's suffering that shouldn't happen. Uh, besides that, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, I think the only way to survive this is to continuously remain positive, to focus on the recoveries, uh, to focus on the wins versus the losses of life, you know, to focus on how many you saved versus how many you lost. Um, even when you lose, when you lose some lives, you're like, you, I think it's important to see what could we have done better? How can we change the outcome next time? Mm -hmm. So I think just having the right approach to it is really important. Also taking off, you know, is really important. Like learning to switch off. I mean, we work 365 days a year. Um, we are always switched on. We're emergency. We did not even take a single day off ever since COVID has happened, even now. Um, so I feel like because we are continuously switched on uh, and are not able to take maybe a couple of days off or take a vacation, a long vacation or do any of those things, I think it's important to find ways to switch off. Each of each one of us have diff, has different coping mechanisms, but I'm also very uh, particular. I'm watching whether my staff is taking enough leave. Um, we encourage them that if you're not feeling it up to it today, do not come to work, you know. So I think it's very important to do that. Uh, we have sort of, um, you know, informal tie-ups with people who are counselors. So if anyone does need to talk to somebody because it can be very overwhelming the work very very overwhelming and uh, i mean i have to be honest it's not like we are always in control of our emotions there are days i will come back and just want to be really really quiet and that's not because i'm depressed or anything like that but just because i've had so much and i need to process it you know so i think taking time out for yourself is really important and these are things most animal rescuers people who are engaged uh, with animal related work tend not to do even veterinarians you know you need to take time off you need your personal time and it doesn't mean you take a long holiday and that's your personal time off it even if it means it's taking one hour to completely switch off from everything you do it's really really important to do and if you don't do that you can't go back the next day and help animals again so I think being very practical and equally passionate, you know, is important to survive this work. So you can start doing this work, but you won't survive for very long if you're not, if you don't take breaks, if you're not practical about it. What's the most challenging one that you did? Oh, that, that's really hard to even say. But uh, in the recent times, um, we were in Gacharoli um, 
and we were tracking down a herd of 23 elephants and that was quite challenging because we really had no clue which direction we were headed in. We were literally just following signs. We're, we're in a rather conflict area, you know, Gacharoli is a conflict area, that's number one. Number two, you have conf human conflict on one side and you have a wild herd of elephants on the other side. So that was quite challenging. In the recent times, we in Sangli, there was a god that was um, an Indian bison that was stuck in the middle of a very dense human settlement and dry, giving him safe passage was not an option, giving, tranquilizing him was not an option. So we had to really innovate and come up with a different technique and uh, we had, in, you know, the forest department is also incredibly um, supportive. So, you know, work together and um, that, that was a challenging one. It was a big risk to take, a calculated one, but, but that was quite incredible. Last year, we reunited a black panther with a cub with its mother. That was, that was incredible. Um, there, was a, there was a leopard stuck in uh, a very densely populated basti in Pune. We were in and out of there under 90 minutes, no animal, no human hurt. That was challenging. Just yesterday, actually, there was a depressing one where we rescued uh, 14 dogs from a, from a home where they'd been abandoned and clearly it was a case of animal hoarding. So that, that was, um, I mean, that wasn't challenging, but that was, that was just yesterday and it was upsetting. So, so yeah, there's just so much that goes on all the time. Neha, you just mentioned about animal hoarding. Huh. Um, I've been reading more and more cases of that in the last couple of years. Yeah. Tell us more. Tell tell us more about that, and and why are you, why do you think that's happening, and and are there any signs that people can look out for? Yes. So, um, you know, this has been going on actually for a very long time. It is a established problem. It's a complex issue, but it is not something new to our country. It's just something we haven't recognized. Now, there's a very thin line between animal welfare and animal hoarding. It begins from a good place, uh, you know, there are, it, you know, most people begin rescuing animals, sheltering animals, and it comes from a very, very good place. But animal hoarders are people who, are, there are very telltale signs of animal hoarding. Now, um, commonly you will find, um, uh, if you ask somebody, how many animals do you have? And if they are not able to give you the exact number, that is a telltale sign. Uh, if their homes or shelters are dirty and, uh, you know, like there's furniture out of place, there are too many animals, there's a strong cell, uh, smell of ammonia, the floors are covered with feces or urine or it's not been picked up for a while. Um, too many animals, like they don't have place to, um, they're all together, you know, and I mean, there is, um, you, it's a good probably good to ask how many people to animals um, what is the human to animal ratio that you have so, so often you'll find um, them complaining about resources uh, of course animal welfare resources are challenging to get but if you're going to have somebody who says I have 500 animals and I'm struggling to find stuff that's that's a worrisome predicament to be in so uh, also you, very commonly animal hoarders tend to neglect themselves, their own personal hygiene. Um, they're generally cut off from society. So these are very telltale signs where they are not social. Um, 
and um, they believe that the animals are happy and healthy but you can see a lot of distress signs in the animals so this is animal herding this is a recognized problem in the in the us there are animal control officers we have had a lot of animal herding situations in uh, pune it happens all over india we are not trained to see the difference between an animal shelter or uh, animal rescuer and an animal hoarder we need to get better at that for the love of animals because it's animals who suffer at the end of this uh, it's not about see these signs what should they do neha so what they should do okay so the one really important thing to do is rather not to do is don't encourage an animal hoarder okay so when i say don't encourage you you'll generally hear those complaints that oh i don't have enough resources to feed or to do that don't immediately supplement the need try to work with them to say i'll help you but i will only support employee salaries or i let's uh, figure out a better plan for them let's you know basically help uh, them become more organized that's one way number 2 if they refuse help what people need to do is to let others know so that they don't go on dumping animals with such people very commonly i have seen that we go and rescue an animal from the street we feel very bad it's hurt injured just as soon as it's out of our hands we go make that donation and uh, make that donation and we've forgotten all about it yeah. you know about the animal and that animal remains suffering with these people and these people generally tend to and uh, you know just go on accumulating animals so don't do that you know just don't go and take that puppy from the street and go dump it at one of these shelters where there is no tab so when when people commonly call me and say okay you know i found a puppy or i found an animal make sure you're doing your due diligence when you leave um animals at such places so make sure that there are enough people looking after ask them how they are funding themselves so many of them are self funded could be self funded but just giving an animal food and shelter is not enough so i think what's really important is also you can report if you see something really bad you can report it to your local district spcas or any organization depends on where you are in the country because some places in the country have um good um spcas some don't some have good ngos in their city some don't any good ngo will help you out in such scenarios we've had to deal with so many ourselves and um, you know just when you mentioned about people picking up uh, yes. a puppy or a dog on the streets maybe they've seen a little one hurt or injured um we were talking about this that the first thing that they want to do is go to a shelter and leave that um that puppy or kitten there and um you were telling me about the five freedoms of shelter animals i'd love for you to talk about that here so we can uh, let more people know how they should think about this and and why perhaps a shelter is not the best place for an animal so um before we get on to that one thing to remember is there are animal hospitals there are animal shelters there are uh, foster homes uh, they're all uh, different in nature okay so number one when you see a uh, animal on the streets now if it is a hurt or injured animal you want to take it to a hospital right uh, it's just like humans when you're hurt or injured you'll go to a hospital you won't go to a shelter because what a shelter is equivalent to an orphanage or a old age home 
Now, shelters may not necessarily have full-time vets. But obviously, if they feel bad for that animal, they take it in. It may, may not, they may or may not do justice to the medical care that the animal requires. So make sure if you are picking up a hurt or injured animal, take it to a veterinarian. Take that effort to take it to a private veterinarian. Then find out if there is any boarding service or any, um, you know. So there are paid boarding services uh, where they do look after medical cases as well. So that's what you need to look out for. So just reporting an animal is not enough. Be willing to do a little bit more uh, simply because these are street animals and there is um, like organizations like ours, of course, we have limited space. There are more than three lakh dogs in the city. We get more than 80 to 100 calls a day. There is no way we can help all, right? So it depends. It's like a hospital. It has an X amount of beds. How many ever there are, you will do as much as you can. So um, find out uh, what's available in your city. Number two, very commonly, you know, people see a puppy just straying, you know, just barely making it across the road and it breaks your heart. I've been there, you know, seen a puppy just barely make it across the road and uh, you're, you're just so tempted to like, you know, just take it home or go leave it in a safe shelter. So very often in shelters, there are larger dogs, there's an infection present um, and most puppies don't even survive shelters. So there's a very poor survival rate. Actually, if you left it on the road and probably just left it on the side of the road, if you found it stuck in the middle, probably have a higher survival rate. On the other hand, a lot of people, what they do is they take the puppy home. Then there are, the truth is that there are much lesser homes than the number of dogs we have. So what happens is that you have a um, lot of people who take puppies home and then when they become older, they go dump them back on the street. And that is one of the worst things to do besides it being abandoned, abandonment. Because you took the puppy off the street when it was learning its life skills. And then after a few months when you leave it back, it doesn't know how to dodge the traffic and it doesn't know how to find food and it doesn't know how to find shelter. So you're better off supporting an animal on the street versus taking it home or dumping it in a shelter. Um, in an ideal world, if you can go back there, feed it for a little while, try to look for a home for it, take a few pictures through your own networks, try to find a home for it. There are higher chances you might find a home through your own networks because organizations like ours are continuously exhausting our networks. So try to find a home or a farmhouse for it. Um, the other thing that one can do is of course f feed it up to a point where it can you know definitely up to a point where it can be neutered so if you are going to indulge in feeding please make sure that you are vaccinating the animal and getting the animal neutered because otherwise you're just increasing the fertility rate of that animal and then it's going to multiply so if you the it boils down to if you are going to get involved with a street animal decide that you're going to take responsibility Otherwise, you are better off moving on because then that animal will learn to fend for himself and it will be survival of the fittest. So the smarter ones will survive and the not so smart ones will not. And honestly, this is the only practical and passionate way to look at it because sometimes that compassion becomes misguided compassion and you're not really helping the animal, you're just crippling it. Wow, absolutely. I completely agree with you on that. And I think that um, sometimes we go just with passion and we forget the practicality. But I know that a lot of people want to help and they just don't know how to. They know that they can't take the puppy home. They don't know where to leave it. Or even if it's just a dog that 
has a little bit of an injury, is getting a bad wound, um, or or just in other ways. And I know uh, we've chatted about this before a couple of years ago, but can you again share what can people do, um, you know, maybe with fostering, with donations, with lending expertise? There's so many things that are on that list, and I'd love for you to talk a little about that. So um, not everyone can help anim animals hands-on, so, but there are still lots of things that people can do for animals. Um, number one, you can be an advocate in the sense that people who are doing good work help spread the word about the work that they do. Uh, several organizations, you know, their survival depends on um, advocates uh, who are spreading the word about the work they do uh, simply because there are such less resources. The second thing, directly hands-on, there are several organizations shelters, um, whether it's wildlife or domestic, um, you know, there are several places that will allow you to come and volunteer in different capacities. Sometimes in, um, they may need more help in admin related work. Sometimes they may need uh, hands-on animal related work. So there are several organizations that are open to volunteering. But my strong recommendation is that, you know, we take volunteering very lightly in this country. So if you can commit one day a month commit one day a month, but don't commit, I will come 10 times in a month and then show up one day in a month. So um, make a commitment if you are going to do physical volunteering, but make a commitment that you can keep. Um, the other thing is you can help support animals. So, you know, not everyone can take an animal home, but there are so many people, uh, there's so many organizations that have animals that require support and lifetime care. There are several animals we have, domestic animals that can be sponsored. On the other hand, people, if you are interested in wildlife, you can also help support the rehabilitation of say uh, birds or uh, you know primates that come into our care because these are the ones that require a little more care. They stay with us a little longer. So you can support, say, the board unit uh, or the primate units uh, which are there. So number one is definitely financial help. Number two, voluntary help. Number three, uh, you know, be advocates of organizations that you believe in. The one thing that I would like to put out there is when you look at an organization, or visit an organization, ask the right questions, you know, ask, uh, don't be afraid to ask questions. In fact, a good organization will always answer all your questions, whether it's about how they function, how they are funded, who looks after the animals, are there uh, people living 24 hours, uh, what do you do in an emergency? Uh, a good organization will always have the right answers to these questions. So if you are going to be supporting an organization, whether it's monetary or in kind or with your time, make sure you ask the right questions. The more answerable organizations are, the better they will do for animals. So don't be afraid uh, to do that. I think that is something that people are very afraid to say, but I just wanted to say it and put it out there. Thank you, Neha. Thank you for sharing this and so many other things that you have on this episode. Um, I think um, what I'm leaving with is really you taking responsibility. Um, it's very easy to complain, to criticize, um, and you know just just blame all the time. But um, what I'm leaving with is really that sense of you just deciding to take something in your own hands and and create the change that you want to see, which is so powerful. And like you know, my eight-year-old is a big, big fan. 
she really wants to do what Neha auntie does. Um, <laughs> and religiously follows everything that you're doing and, and all the amazing animals that you're rescuing. And then she really follows it all through. So thank you for inspiring even the next generation. Um, I have always just uh, had so much deep respect for you and your work. And uh, thank you for doing all that you do. And thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you for this chat. Thank you for having me here. Um, it's it's always um, you know when I talk about um, the you know the journey. There's 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 so much to say, and uh, it's always hard to summarize it all in a few words. But uh, I think we've known each other for so many years, and you know, sort of started off at the same time, and it's been incredible all our journeys together. And I hope we can have many more conversations together. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you and take care. Thanks.